0: Welcome to another week of Mum Will Know, with me, Claire Wind, midwife and mum. Each week we delve into topics from conception to kids in kindy, with the aim to become more confident and well-informed mums. This week we are lucky to have midwife Janine O'Brien from iBirth, chatting to us about home birth and being a privately practising midwife in Australia. I followed Janine around for about six weeks when I was a student and loved learning from her and seeing this different model of care in action. Janine's also recently had a baby girl named Frankie, who you'll hear chatting away along with Janine in the interview. I really enjoyed this interview and I hope you find it interesting too. So welcome to the podcast, Janine, and thanks so much for giving up some of your precious time to chat with me.
1: Oh, you're so welcome, Claire. I'm so excited. I'm so proud of you and everything that you're doing. It's um, fantastic and really in line with a really important message for women in our community to be able to access important information so that they can make proper informed choices.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, like me, you've got a young baby at home, little Frankie, on the breast at the moment. (laughs) Can you start us off by telling us a little bit about your family?
1: I would love to share a little bit about our family. So, I am a mother of three beautiful uh, young women and a little baby girl. Uh, My first beautiful daughter, Brooke. Uh, was born by cesarean section. I was 15 years old and she was breech and I was pretty much not given any other option than this is what you're doing. So this was back in uh, 1992, so nearly 28 years ago. And I did what a good young 15-year-old does and does what the doctor told me I didn't question anything and um, Brooke was born at 38 weeks with no labor a a general anesthetic cesarean section and we got on and I parented her I in reflection probably felt that there was definitely some postnatal depression associated with my parenting after I had Brooke and I only kind of became aware of that when I gave birth to my next beautiful daughter, Naomi, four and a half years later in the hospital at Mona Vale um, by a vaginal birth after caesarean. So it was very evident after I'd given birth to Nins that, that there was something I really missed out on with Brooke. And that was a beautiful cocktail of these amazing hormones that come with spontaneous physiological um, birth. And I thought it was the best thing I'd ever done, and oh, I went out and really tried to share my message around the world about how, or the world that I lived in, about how incredibly important birth was for a woman's emotional state, for how she kind of transforms from a being a maiden into oh. mother. And I think it happens each time we give birth. And and then I became a midwife, and it really was amazing to start sharing what I kind of felt as a, a woman giving birth on my own steam to be able to share with the women I worked with because not long after became a midwife. But then I also found my way to home birth along the way, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to in a moment. But for my third baby, had our beautiful little Frankie at home, which was very, very special. I have a new partner who I've known for seven years. His name's Craig, and Craig <laughs> has been, I think... Uh, really prepared from the moment that he met me that we were going to if we were going to ever have any babies that they were definitely going to be born at home (laughs) and subliminally I've been messaging him anyway throughout the last few years that that was what was going to happen so it was a no-brainer when my midwife asked me where our place of birth was going to be (laughs) that um, we were going to birth Frankie at home yeah
0: That's lovely. It's awesome hearing the transition from Brooke's birth all the way to Frankie as well. And I guess that, yeah, that whole change in your whole perspective on birth and mothering and life too. So you mentioned that you're a midwife. So can you give us a bit of a rundown of your work history and how you got to where you are now?
1: Yeah. So I've wanted to be a midwife since I was about four. I actually started wanting to be a nurse. And then when I found out that you could be a nurse that actually looks after babies and mums, and that was called a midwife. And I've always wanted to be a midwife, I have a vision board of myself on my balcony as a young four-year-old with pictures of mums and babies all over it. So it's something that I've always really felt a connection towards. And I'm not sure if it comes from being one of the oldest of 22 grandchildren, where we always had babies around. It was something that was always part of my life. But there was definitely a real connection to wanting to be with women as well. I mean, the babies are extremely cute, but it was more about, I suppose I've always felt a little bit of an injustice to how women are treated in general and wanting to be there for women and care for them was something that I felt really drawn to. So obviously being a, a young mom at 15, I didn't finish. I tried to finish school and um, I wasn't it wasn't very welcome having a baby in year eleven, so I ended up um, dropping out halfway through. So I had to start my career as a trainee enrolled nurse because I didn't hadn't I finished my HSC, which was good. I had two young children at the time, so it was kind of a gentle beginning, and it really helped me to see, yep, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do because you get your hands quite <laughs> dirty, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. But I think the foundations of care are really being an enrolled nurse you know you've got your bedside you've got you know skin care you've got um mouth care and you know wound care you you really start at the bottom you just don't go straight to your medication trolley as an rn so and you really get to talk to people um i found and get to see how the hospital structure was all set up and So I did my training enrolled nursing first and then I moved into doing my RNs through university once I was a a mature age student after I was 21. And moving straight through because I got an exemption off one of my years to go into a two-year degree of doing my RNs because I was already in EN. And then I didn't want to stop there because my aim was obviously to be a midwife. So instead of doing a new grad year, I went straight back to uni and did my midwifery, which was probably, I'm going to, the moment the meet, one of the most hardest years that I've ever experienced as a human being. It really was a hard, hard year emotionally. I think, you know, midwifery brings up a lot of your own stuff as a woman. A lot of, I saw a lot of, trauma, I suppose, through the year, ways of how I really never wanted to treat women ever (laughs) in some of the practices. And I was bullied quite a lot through my midwifery year as well. So also having two young children, it was really, really challenging, but I was determined to see it through, which I did. Wow. So I kind of came out of uni a little bit bruised and sore and thought I wanted to do home birth straight away and I went and hung out with a few of the home birth midwives um, around at the time but at that time they wanted you to do like a year's mentoring where you weren't paid and it wasn't something that I could do with two young children because I was a single mum and so I did a full 180 degree swing and went and worked in the private hospital at a private hospital in Sydney which (laughs) was very interesting going from you know, everything that I'd experienced to then going to work in a private hospital.
0: And from the private hospital then, how did you get into being a privately practising midwife, which you are today?
1: So it took me a few years um, to really find out that that's not, wasn't, I wasn't practising in my truth of who I was and what, what I felt was right for women and babies. Again, I was sort of traumatized by some shifts, leaving quite upset um, about what was happening. I was doing a lot of education at the time, so I'd become a calm birth practitioner as well along the way. And the workplace I was working for was sending me off to do all this amazing education to be able to facilitate birth classes. And the information I was finding out was really starting to show that what I was practicing in the hospital where I was, was not good for mums and babies. And in fact, the midwifery care was, continuity of midwifery care was actually what the evidence was starting to show was good for mums and babies. And I kind of, I knew this by some of the women that I would teach at this private hospital, I would let them know that I was on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night duty. And they did. The only continuity these women were getting in the private hospital was through their obstetrician. But the obstetrician, as we know, comes in if there's, if there's trouble or when the birth's about to happen. They don't actually look after you throughout your labour and birth. So the women were looking for something. And so it was funny. So many of the women that I taught in the classes would come into labour on those Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights because they had already made a relationship with somebody which happened to be myself at the time so I found that quite interesting and um, when I was out at my favorite restaurant Tamagawa one day I saw a midwife Cheryl Sidery and she had let me know that there was an opening I was telling her about how I kind of needed to change in my career from where I was and how much I really wanted to work with women and babies. And she said, oh, well, there's an opening at, uh, at our hospital, at the Royal Hospital for Women. They're just starting up another group practice. At the time, they had um, one group practice, Magnolia, and they were starting up another one. And so I went for the job and I found it absolute. The interview was absolutely incredible. I went for another interview at RPA and there was just a real warmth around the interview at Royal Hospital for Women. There was, when I walked into the hospital, I was in, it was like I was in my dreams because there was just women and babies everywhere, and it really resonated with me, and I was, I was so happy. And uh, so then they offered me the job, and I started working in midwifery group practice as a continuity of care midwife in 2008. And uh, okay. it was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> So it really changed my, it, it, yeah, it just opened up so many doors for me and seeing women in an environment. We worked in the, out of the birth center and there was also a delivery suite. So if women actually needed to transfer across, it was right there. And the neonatal intensive care unit was on the other side of the birth unit. So it was absolutely quite a really
0: amazing setup. That sounds great. And when you've mentioned continuity of midwifery care a few times. Can you kind of break that down and explain, I guess, what the research is saying promotes this continuity of care?
1: Yeah. So when I was actually working at the Royal Hospital for Women, there was an amazing study done called the Mango Trial, and it actually Yay. looked at low-risk and high-risk women being cared for by midwives uh, in a midwifery group program. So, and basically, this study actually said that Women of all risk would benefit from continuity of care and they had better outcomes as far as high vaginal birth, lower pain relief. Um, But the main message was that they would come out of their care uh, feeling really satisfied. And I know a lot of that comes from the relationships that they have with their midwives, knowing the same midwife throughout, or knowing a group of midwives that would actually be on for them if their main midwife wasn't actually available. So yeah it was actually a fantastic study but there has been so many studies since then it's kind of like every year when we go back to the australian college of midwives um, conferences they're still talking about continuity of care and the studies that we're doing and i'm like this was done back in 2008 you know this is something that has been proved time and time again not only be safe for women and babies, but also women are actually wanting this service and they feel fantastic when they come out the other side of their care, which it's not just, I suppose, about, I mean, obviously it's about safety always, but it's also about how women are feeling. And especially after birth, when you come home with a new baby, you know, if you're feeling uh, fantastic and you know on over the moon and emotionally and physically intact then that's definitely going to affect how you're parenting your baby um, opposed to feeling something quite the opposite that's going to affect not only how you parent your baby but how you relate to your husband or your partner how you relate to other people in the community and as Hannah Darling says those ripples will end up falling on a shore somewhere.
0: Okay. And so you're at the moment a privately practicing midwife. Can you explain what that means? Yes.
1: So from the Royal Hospital for Women, I was involved in setting up a home birth program through uh, there. And unfortunately at the time, it just wasn't the right time. Um, We didn't have the right amount of staff of midwives wanting to actually provide that service. And we did um, have it functioning for just over a year, I think it was, and then I left, so the program shut down. So it was something that I was always really, really interested in working for women and babies. Um, one thing I found that often happens when, when women are in a system is there was a lot of disappointment in that program because of mentors not being available or certain things happening throughout their pregnancy that that changed their what we call classification of risk. So, they were risked out of programs. And that was really disheartening for the women and their families, but also for us as the midwives as well. So, it was really composed around these policies and procedures of the hospital. So, I did move to Manly Hospital between becoming from leaving the Royal Hospital for Women. And at that time, my family really needed me. Um, my daughters were teenagers, and you know, you think your babies need you when they're little. Well, Wait till they become teenage girls, that's when you really need to be home. So I actually put my career kind of just on cruise for a while and started working at a midwifery group practice at Manly, which was very, very different for me because at the Royal Hospital for Women, we had a lot of autonomy and. A lot of respect and there was a real fantastic collaboration with the obstetricians there and I didn't actually quite find it to be quite the same when we moved over to Manly but that's another story. So um, from there I moved, I lost my job because it was a one-year loco or whatever they classified it to be, a one-year one contract basically and um, when it came up they gave the job to for review, they gave a job to another midwife who'd been working in the hospital. So I was devastated and I, it kind of was the real kick-up the pants for me though to move into what I'd probably been a little bit hesitant to because I, you know being a private midwife you rely on you know your own income you're privately practicing so you have to have the clients coming through the door and that was something that really concerned me in the beginning mainly because I was again a single parent and I had to provide for my family so anyway I made the jump and I went out into a privately practicing group practice which was fantastic. You know, I worked with them for four years and it was an amazing way to work with women. But there was something that still didn't quite sit right with me. I I found when I worked at the Royal Hospital for Women, I could get through care with some families being the only person that they ever actually saw. So finding it to be real true continuity where you didn't have fragmented care with other midwives having to actually see them throughout their appointments in their pregnancy or their postpartum visit. So this actually led me to actually reevaluate where I was again and I I knew there was a couple of other midwives already practicing as sole practitioners. So I kind of teamed up with them and it's been the best move that I ever have made in my career. It's um it was a little sad at first because it was a little a little bit different leaving a group, but then after I kind of got into the groove, we have a fantastic uh, collegial ship with each other with the midwives that I work around. So whenever we need support, we kind of contact each other. We have you know, a really amazing couple of days a year where we get together and we do more education and we all- always can access each other for any things that come up as far as problem solving or new research or education or things that go on with the women that we care for. So we're not out there on
0: our own, you know. Thanks for outlining all of that. That's very helpful. Today, I wanted to focus on home birth and I guess your perspective as a privately practicing midwife. I guess for me, probably the most common reaction I've had to the idea of home birth or what I've seen in the media in Australia about home birth is People being worried about whether or not it's safe. There's this kind of assumption, I guess, that mothers who are choosing to have a home birth are either selfish or dumb, and that it's actually putting your baby and yourself in danger. So I actually spent a couple of weeks with you, uh, following you around to different people's homes when I was a student, as you cared for them, and I didn't see any practice that felt unsafe. So I guess what would your response be to this idea that home birth isn't safe?
1: So, first of all, a lot of the women who and families who are actually birthing at home, as you would have seen when you were working with me, are actually really well informed. They do a lot of research in fact, <laughs> sometimes I'm sure they are more researched than I am, and uh, they have me reading articles and things so and and they are my biggest teachers, the women I work with, um which is quite beautiful. I'm always learning something new from them. But there are a lot of studies that actually uh, suggest and say that actually home births are as safe as hospital birth. And in fact, some are even questioning uh, perhaps maybe are they safer. I've got a few journal articles in front of me, but I suppose what the, a lot of them actually say low risk women and women who are looked after by a a midwife or a physician who has been educated properly. So we're not talking... Unfortunately, sometimes the home birth statistics come in with women who are maybe planning a free birth or women who actually uh, have a a birth that happens before it it happens in hospital, which means that they plan to have a hospital birth but it happened along the way somewhere. So, those, unfortunately, those outcomes were chucked into women having home births. But the research is quite clear and it actually says that is it time to ask whether facility-based birth is safe for low-risk women and their babies? So, a lot of women actually forced into having procedures in hospitals, or coerced, or feel bullied. Um, whereas at home, they actually get to make proper informed decisions with midwives who give them all the information. They don't just pick and choose which bits that they want them to know about. Everybody's, I suppose, wish is for babies and mums to be safe. Unfortunately, I think the consensus in the hospital is a lot of the time the the premise is around the baby being safe um, and they forget about the women. And of course, everybody wants everybody to land safely, but we want women being safe emotionally and physically for their births as well. So we have usually a fantastic antenatal program with the women where it is fully inclusive of lots of education. We have backup plans with hospitals. If there is anything out of the ordinary, we collaborate within amongst ourselves as the sole practitioner group that we have. we call the sole midwives. And then if something's out of our scope, we usually will refer to uh, whoever it is within that scope of practice, whether it's an endocrinologist or whether it's an obstetrician or whoever it is that... It, the actual specified sort of thing that's come up, we need to go to somebody else, another allied health practitioner. So we do so. I do find though there are some women that are so petrified to go to hospital that they do make choices outside of the guidelines. And again, though, you know, that's their human right to make those choices. And it's our... our job as midwives is to advocate for those rights that those women are choosing. And as long as they're properly well-informed, then they're making the choices that are right for them and their family. And that right is to be able to give birth wherever they feel safe. And if that safe is rather at home rather than in the hospital, then that's what's right for that family.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I guess following on from that, so you've talked about safety both emotionally I guess for women but also in terms of like continuity of care with the midwife and then also in collaboration with if you need to other midwives and obstetricians or endocrinologists and other health professionals what I guess are some of the advantages or benefits of having a home birth from the women's perspective?
1: Oh I think well I know birthing at home it's comfortable it's your own smells, your own germs. So we know there's something incredibly important called microbiome. In fact, it was a big deal breaker for me being at home with my own germs. So when Frankie came out, she wasn't going to be exposed to any you know, infections that might be antibiotic resistant. Uh, My husband could stay with me the entire time. People that were coming to me were guests in my home rather than me being a guest somewhere else in an unfamiliar place, often in places where the numbers that women women are being exposed to with care providers, are they often being cared for by, you know, midwives who might have more than one woman in labour. What else? My family could come in without being told that there's a limit to certain visitors and I could move around in my own time, in my own way. Oh gosh, what else? I could get straight back into my bed afterwards. <laughs> um, my husband wanted to say that you know he could have a beer, but he actually, it was the one day he didn't have a beer. Um, <laughs> he didn't need it. He was so over the moon when Frankie arrived and or when we tucked ourselves up into bed and you know, you've got access to your own bathroom. Your midwife comes and checks on you every day afterwards. Yeah, the list goes on. It's, well, we know that also that undisturbed labor will make often labors much quicker and much more comfortable for women. So I know that Frankie's birth was intense, but I don't actually remember it as being painful. So for me, you know, there was never any, I never asked for pain relief. There's nothing synthetic that could stifle the process because it was completely physiological, which was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced in my life. There are people not talking at you, so I hired a doula. My midwife was going away around my due date, um, which I knew from the beginning, so. I kind of prepared myself with a doula who I loved and not only was she amazing for the birth, she wasn't there for very long, but um, (laughs) she was amazing through the pregnancy and the postpartum period as well. So my doula was welcome, obviously, and I've heard some shocking things recently that doulas aren't going to be welcome in hospitals because of what's going on at the moment with the coronavirus and you know it's a human right to have women around you and your chosen woman and your partner for labor and birth we know that it makes a big difference to how women experience their pain sensations through labor therefore there'll be a much lesser need for pain relief so that was really important to me having my people around I wanted to know that they would um, hold my space for me if I did have a crisis of confidence, as Rhea Dempsey says. So, yeah, I was able to have a water birth, which in some hospitals or under some care providers, that's not always possible. Or if you, you know, I have a higher BMI, so I know for some women that they're kind of, again, they're risked out because of their weight. So that wasn't a thing for me. We had our own pool, which we pumped up and... Yeah, I think the comfort is a really, was a really big thing, which what led to my birth being really safe. It wasn't interrupted. So getting into the car, there was no adrenaline except for when it needed to happen. And um, the first sensation I had, I just nestled back into my body and into my space and knew that I uh, didn't need to go anywhere, which was really, I think, the as some people say, it's the first intervention of, is, in birthing is when we walk out our front door.
0: Wow, well, a lot of that sounded so beautiful. You had me smiling as you were saying all of that. It's um, yeah, a nice reflection to hear your own experience. I guess for people who aren't even aware of what I guess pregnancy care looks like, can you give a breakdown of just quickly what choosing a home birth with a privately practicing midwife looks like? Sorry, so that kind of whole scope of pregnancy care.
1: So normally for myself I like to well people are ringing us because we are limited in number usually a lot of privately practicing midwives will book out very quickly there isn't some people think there is there is a lot of us, but there isn't actually a lot of us in Sydney and, and definitely not out in remote areas in Australia. And so we book out quite quickly. So I actually have contact from people. Usually I'm the next person that women call after they speak, tell their husbands or their partners, which is pretty exciting. And it's even more exciting when you have people coming back. Um, for care. So, I've actually got two families that I've had three babies with, and I've actually got another family at the moment who's coming back for their third baby with me, which is so amazing. Yeah, it's um, lovely. It is beautiful. And so, basically, usually I see them from anywhere from eight to 12 weeks, and that's usually when they're not booking late. And most appointments go for an hour or more. It covers all sorts of things from tests and investigation um, counselling. So often women are told here's a form to go and do a test and they're not often counselled around why they might do that test or what the test is testing for or even what happens if the results come back with something different from what the the woman might be actually thinking that the test's for. So um, I truly believe in informed consent when doing any tests and investigations and you can only truly inform, have a proper consent when you have all of the information. So, I make it a really important part of my care, especially in the beginning, about making sure women are aware of what their options are in that regard. Often they'll go to the GP first, and I have, in and the GPs are great, especially when I've I've got a fantastic collaboration with one up the road. He's all over it, but not all GPs. They're general practitioners. So midwifery often isn't their skill. So they often don't share all the information with the women. I've also had some GPs, you know, speak quite badly of home birth and often they, they're they not fully aware of what the evidence actually might say and and what it, how we even practice as midwives actually and when we're privately practicing. I feel like we're constantly educating everybody else about what, what we do. So other things entail uh, health and nutrition put extra people that they can go and see to make themselves more comfortable or optimize their pregnancy for so allied healthcare professionals and natural care options like acupuncture etc we talk about sex and relationships and oh, so many things through each appointment. Often we talk about labour and birth and how to prepare for that, things when we need to transfer. So that's also another really important part of care is actually making sure that we have a good plan in place for if we need to transfer during labour and birth and what that might look like, what reasons we would need to transfer for, a lot of that is actually discussed before we even start care. So there's an interview process that goes on. And in that interview process, we talk about the lack of insurance because currently we actually, as privately practising midwives, don't have access to professional indemnity insurance for birth at home. We have insurance for antenatal and postnatal care but we don't have it for birth so all of the families are actually counselled around that as well knowing that that that's not available for if something does go wrong at home so they're making fully informed decisions what else do we talk about the baby and preparing for your baby breastfeeding childbirth education what courses are out there so it's it's a fun filled 40 weeks (laughs) Um, with lots and lots of information and we are able to prescribe. So part of the actual requirements to be a (laughs) a privately practising midwife is that we had to upskill ourselves with pharmacology screening and diagnostics through university and we're able to prescribe for women within the scope of our practice any medicines or prescriptions that they might need that come up. So that actually enables the continuity to remain with the same midwife rather than sending them off to another care provider, which is fantastic.
0: Awesome. And so is most of that care happening in the woman's home and like postnatally as well? You mentioned with your experience with Frankie, the midwife comes to you each day as well.
1: Yeah, so um, it depends who you have as a midwife. Um, Some midwives will see the
0: women in their
1: home and some will see them in their clinic. I see the women in my clinic because I have a clinic and especially having Frankie, it makes it a bit easier. But, and some women, some midwives will choose to do it in the women's home. I definitely see women in their own home from 37 weeks. So I get to know their home and their environment because that's where I'm going to be travelling to and, um, and then obviously for the birth and the postnatal care myself, I usually see the women uh, five times in the first week, five days in the first week and then at the second week and then they come back and see me at six
0: weeks. That's awesome. And I guess as well that's a lot more care than is provided through the public system anyway. We don't often get that whole six weeks of care after the birth to help with breastfeeding and things like that.
1: No, um I, in fact I used to get in trouble in the system because I would spend too much time with the women. <laughs> so, it's nice to be able to spend as much time as the woman needs in every appointment, whether it's in her pregnancy or after her, in her postnatal care as well.
0: Yeah. I guess you've mentioned as well things like prescribing rights and insurances, and from my experience when I was following you around and meeting some other privately practicing midwives that you work alongside, I kind of got the impression that uh, home birth midwives or privately practising midwives are generally more qualified and skilled than maybe most of the midwives that I work alongside, as controversial as that might sound. Do you, guess, do, you, do you think that that's kind of true? Look, I think we have to be. We are required to do 40
1: hours of continuing professional development every year Which, as a midwife in the system, it's only 20 hours. So, already we're doing an extra, we're doubling the amount of education we have to do every year. 10 of those hours need to be pharmaceutical based as well to be able to keep our prescribing rights up. And I think, I suppose, being a privately practicing midwife uh, for us, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle, and it's something that we hold really dear and tender to our hearts. And we want to be as informed and need to be as informed and up to date as we can, being out in our communities. But also for the women's sake as well, we need to be able to be fully educated and know the growing changes of research that are coming out. And I mean, my best friends are student midwives because they always are up to date with all of the evidence that's coming out, which is quite actually, you know, brings me into another topic of conversation, you know, about the requirements of having to be a PPE privately practising and endorsed midwife are that you have to be out of uni for three years, which is so sad that, midwives coming out of uni are taught about this wonderful way of working with women and yet then they have to go back and and work within the system for three years so I've got a bit of a competitor down here trying to talk to me um she's telling you she says I agree with everything my mum says yeah (laughs) good job Frankie (laughs) yeah so you know it would be great if new fresh midwives could come out and if that if they so chose to come out and work as privately practicing midwives under the Supervision of another midwife. But unfortunately, at the moment, they have to do three years of full time work in a hospital.
0: Um, In terms of home birth, you mentioned earlier that you worked at the Royal Hospital for Women setting up a home birth clinic or, I don't know, way of caring for people, yeah, Yeah. program. (laughs) And I guess around New South Wales, at least, there's a few publicly funded home birth programs. And I know that Westmead's just set one up. um, And out where I live near John Hunter Hospital, there's the Belmont birth center, which offers home births that's publicly funded as well. But these are quite rare to find. What do you think? Do you think it's a lack of funding from the government or lack of support for home birth? What do you think? Or why do you think that is that it's so hard to come by a publicly funded home birth?
1: I, I don't know the answer to that one, Claire. I, you know, I think it is an amazing model of care that should all women should have access and the right to choose. So, I really don't know the answer to that. I do know that, you know, in the last few years, so many birth centers have been shut down, and I think it's fantastic that Westmead's come on board now with their home birth program. And I know there was, you know, they had to go through a lot to get there. And obviously Royal Hospital for Women has okay. set theirs back up, has been going really well with the I think you really need a dedicated team and you need midwives with knowledge and I think that's often been politically I don't know if this is going politically correct or not, but it's been pushed down over the with the lack of insurance and there does seem to be an us and them sometimes and I think the more that we can all work together for the best outcomes for women, which is to just be an us all the time. We're all there doing what we know to be the best thing that we can with our careers and that is being there for the women and babies and and really providing care, women-centred care that the women want. So women are asking for it. But at the moment, I think only eight percent of women, Australian women, are actually getting continuity of care through uh, care providers in around Australia. So wh- whether it is a lack of funding, where is the funding coming from? I don't know. At the moment, I do know that Joe Hunter and a, an amazing bunch of women have just gotten together and are actually trying to advocate for home birth to be Medicare rebated. Because um, at the moment, because we don't have insurance, we don't have a provider number to actually rebate women for that, that cost. So, and maybe it does come down to cost. I don't know.
0: Mm, okay. I guess, I don't know if this is something you want to share or not, but what would a woman be looking at cost-wise in terms of having a privately practising midwife?
1: Yeah, so it is all out of her pocket. Um, there is a Medicare rebate but anywhere usually between five dollars and $6,000 seems to be the going rate at the moment around Sydney. That might change depending on where women live, if they're out rural and the cost of midwives to get to them or I definitely know a couple of the midwives I work with and myself I charge for travel. So but I also um, know that some midwives might charge less than that as well. But around five to six thousand, most women will get anywhere from about a thousand to fifteen hundred back through Medicare from the antenatal and
0: postnatal visits that they get because they've got a Medicare item. Okay, and if I'm correct, is that kind of working out to be similar cost to what a private obstetrician would co- like be? I think it's less. <laughs> Okay, yeah, because I was yeah. thinking like women are going to be paying that in any way, yeah, for private care, I just guess, yeah, with a doctor instead of a midwife. So, yeah, I guess it just depends on what what women see as uh, the, the care value. that they... Provide yeah yeah, yeah. And that they and as, look
1: we do have an option to have a private obstetrician collaborate in your care with your midwife still being your primary care provider. So the way that works is Westmead have given us visiting rights as midwives, which means when we go into the hospital with the women, we can continue to care for them as their midwife. Whereas any other hospital in Sydney doesn't, you know, we don't have access to visiting rights. And that way, we have our private obstetrician, Dr. Marissa Martin, who um overrides you know when things become out of the ordinary and um and we can collaborate with her and It's a lovely safety net for women who actually do have some risk factors who perhaps don't want to birth at home or if they do want to birth at home, then they have the option to be able to transfer if things go off the garden pathway or if things become challenging
0: which sometimes they do happen and it's good to have, you know, that backup plan in place. And so for women who choose to have or plan to have a home birth and then transfer, say, to other hospitals that are not Westmead, what happens for their care then? Do, do you continue caring for them or do you provide a, more of a support role? So we don't
1: have the right to, as an advocate, for, our, for the women we care for once we walk through the doors of any other hospital. So it becomes really challenging because you can't just turn yourself off as a midwife and often some of the practice that we see when we do go into the hospital might not be in line with the way that we feel is women-centred. So it becomes very challenging. However, that's Our role is to then basically be a support person. I do still try and help the women and the families to understand some of the medical jargon that goes on and sometimes then the hospital can see that we might be coercing them or helping them to make decisions against what they might be recommending but that's not the case. My role is never to coerce a woman into any decision, it's for her to be able to have access to all the information so that she makes an informed decision, even when we do transfer to hospitals that are not West Westmead, so it can become especially challenging in those situations. So often, you know, it is nice to have that ability to be able to transfer into a hospital where I can continue to be their midwife.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess to finish off for the day you've had you've shared a little bit about Frankie's birth and your own experience with having a privately practicing midwife and home birth is there anything else you wanted to share about that experience that was particularly of note it just that it was the most amazing
1: life-changing experience that I have ever had the opportunity I've done a lot of things in my life and being able to have access to one-on-one midwifery To have her available for me whenever I needed to call somebody I'm being yes you're agreeing with everything I'm saying to be able to call her when I had a low-lying placenta so and even with the information that I know I the fear that's installed in you when you go to have these ultrasounds or whatever I still found myself to be (laughs) quite anxious actually so it was really beautiful to be able to have someone that I knew to call and for her to be able to reassure me and throughout I had a really challenging pregnancy so again just everything that came up through the pregnancy I was able to call Jo and speak to her about what was going on and then knowing as soon as I went into labour that I knew that she was coming to me, that I was safe, that I had a great backup at the local hospital booking if I needed it, not that I Needed it, but it was there. The sensations that I experienced through the labour were the most phenomenal things I've ever experienced. And I know that that came from not being interrupted with conversations around what I wanted to choose for my my dinner or my breakfast because often women go into hospitals and they have menus thrown at them and here you need to choose this or they're getting asked questions about this and that because the person often caring for them doesn't know them. Jo knew all of my history so there was no conversations that needed to be had. My husband was well supported as well by both my doula and my midwife and he felt safe and he was absolutely extraordinary in supporting me um, birth our baby. We had the access to the shower and the bean bag and the floor mat and a TENS machine and aromatherapy. It was just the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced in my life and when Frankie decided she was coming very quickly um I think I rang my midwife and I was like no don't worry you don't have to come yet go and do your Mm. antenatal appointments and then I was like (laughs) roaring and uh unbeknownst to me my midwife said to my husband I think we should come Um, which was (laughs) a really good call on her part because she walked in when Frankie's head was being born but um I was able to bring my own baby up out of my vulva and into my own arms and it was just the most miraculous feeling ever. And it really has changed me again as a mother and a woman. And I think one of the questions you had in there was would it change any of my practice as a midwife? And I don't think it would change my practice because I've always believed in, you know, physiological undisturbed birth. But my empathy uh, has really heightened a lot since becoming a mother again. And I'm a pretty empathetic person anyway, but I think it's really softened me as a woman in a good way. So, yeah, I'm very, very protective. Um, I think it's really turned on my protective um, hormones and I'm just loving being a mum again to three, three beautiful girls now. So... I think everybody should be able to have access to a privately practicing midwife or at least continuity of care because i don 't think there are enough privately practicing midwives in Australia to care for <laughs> every woman in Australia, but definitely access to water in labor and birth and to a known care a, a known midwife not when we talk about continuity of care, one of the things that became quite confusing in some of the uh, meetings that i 've attended over the last couple of years was. That continuity of care, it could be a GP or an obstetrician, but that's still fragmented care. Continuity of midwifery carer, you have access to the same midwife through your antenatal period, your birth and your postnatal care, which is incredibly important. And then you can go be transferred back to your local GP, which is really important to have one. But midwives specialize in normal birth and that's what we do.
0: Awesome. Well, Janine, thank you so much for giving up your time today to chat with me about home birth and your work as a privately practicing midwife and your experience having your own home birth with Frankie. Uh, as a midwife, I find hearing stories of the women that you care about and your experiences as really refreshing. And it just reminds me that as women, we are made to give birth and you know we've been doing it forever. So if people are wanting to see more about your work or to get in contact with you, how can they do that?
1: So I have a a webpage, a website, it's www.ibirth.com.au and also on Facebook at iBirth Intimate Birth and Beginnings and on Instagram at Janine at iBirth, which I have got my own birth story up there from Frankie and lots of information around all sorts of different things. So everything from pregnancy to birth to breastfeeding.
0: Awesome, and I've definitely seen a few beautiful photos from Frankie's birth there as well. So I'll share a link to each of those on the show notes and, uh, yeah, I encourage you all to get across and see um, a bit more about what Janine does. So thanks so much, Janine. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed today's interview with Janine. If you do want to follow up with her or to see some photos of her home birth with baby Frankie, head to the show notes and mumwillknow.com for links and access to all of that. Also, if you've had a home birth or experience with a private midwife in Australia, I'd love to hear about it. And if you have any questions, feel free to shoot them through on Instagram at mum no. Thanks again for listening in today. I hope by hearing Janine share information on home birth and privately practising midwifery, you feel better informed about options for care in pregnancy. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I'll see you next week.